Well, if you're just joining us like uh, UCLA is, let me catch you up to speed. We have begun a, a series that I had hoped I would never do uh, just because I was not the greatest example of uh, relationships and romance and I don't think the Bible has a whole lot to say about it. And so I kept putting off and putting off uh, doing the relationship series. In fact, I've said for years that my relationship series is this. Find someone you love and uh, choose to love them and then love who you chose and get married. Find a godly person, you be a godly person, get married, it all works out if you're filled with spirit. Well, that didn't hold many of you over for very long, so here we are in the middle of this relationship series. And we've covered three weeks on who a godly man is. And our, our presupposition going into this is not that we need to figure out how to date. It's not that we have to figure out who to find before we have to figure out who we need to be. And we began looking at the man and who he needs to be in his character, in his chivalry, and in his love the last three weeks. And now we're kind of turning the page a little bit, and we're going to look at the character of a godly or a righteous woman. We're going to do this for a few weeks, and then we're going to pull some things together in romance from the Scripture, and I hope that it will be very encouraging to you by the time we get there. And hopefully some of you will have dates, and some of you will break up. So we're uh, somewhere between now and there. Well, in 1972, I was nine years old, and some of you weren't born yet, uh, and I was in the fourth grade. And I don't remember a whole lot about that year, but there's one thing I do remember, and that was there was a song that the girls in the fourth grade class began singing, and they sang it all the time, and I just didn't get it. Now, frankly, I don't think they did either. But what's interesting about this song is that it was more than just a fourth grade little ditty. This was going to be a song that would become a battle, pro- battle cry for what today we call the modern feminist agenda or the modern feminist movement or the women's liberation move. The song peaked at the Billboard, uh, Billboard's number one spot for one week in 1972. And I want to read you the lyrics of this song by Helen Reddy called, I Am Woman. I am woman, hear me roar, in numbers too big to ignore, and I know too much to go back and pretend, because I've heard it all before, and I've been down there on the floor. No one's ever going to keep me down again. Chorus, oh yes, I am wise, but it's wisdom born of pain. Yes, I've paid the price, but look how much I've gained. If I have to, I can do anything. I am strong, I am invincible, I am woman. Wait, there's more. You can bend, but never break me, because it only serves to make me. She's pretty catchy with the little lines. More determined to achieve my final goal. I just feel like there's music in the background here. And I come back even stronger, not a novice any longer. That's clever. Because uh, you've deepened the conviction of my soul. Then she sings the chorus again. Last verse. I am woman, watch me grow. See me standing toe to toe. Now behind this song is that she's standing toe to toe with the man and her problem with men. As I spread my loving arms across the land, I'm still an embryo with a long, long way to go. That one just didn't work for me. Until I make my brother... Understand, And then she goes on, 
Oh, yes, I'm wise in this pain, and I'm woman, I'm invincible, I'm strong. What I think is really funny is I looked this up on the Internet to find out who wrote it and everything. And it was Words of Music by Helen Reddy and Ray Burton. Come on, Ray. I mean, how did Ray get involved in this? I'd like to find Ray. As unbelievable as it sounds, thousands and perhaps millions of women claim that song and the women's liberation movement is what gave women, for the first time in history, they claim, meaning and purpose and significance. I guess before the late 1960s, women had no meaning, had no purpose, and no significance. Aren't you glad, ladies, you live on this side of the 60s? Today, the feminist agenda is strong as ever, is still trudging forward, trying to bring along with it as many of you as it can. You'll find it in the secular halls, you'll find it on the commercials, you'll find it in propaganda, and where you'll find it most is standing in the lobbies of Congress. The modern movement has gained its identity and momentum, born out of that late 60s uh, generation. And the basic tenet of this philosophy is that women are always and have always been an oppressed group of victims, and men are the oppressors. It's a great way to start talking about women, isn't it? We are the oppressors, gentlemen, in this movement. Feminism holds that men and women are not only equal, but at least, are are not only equal, but at least identical. And in radical feminism, the most radical forms hold that women are superior because they can have babies and we can't. Well, I don't know if they've ever figured out that they can't without us, but that's for another time. It rejects the biblical presuppositions for men and women's roles, and in fact, I believe is the most aggressive, evil, Radical and organized conspiracy to date against the validity and the inspiration and inerrancy, sufficiency, and authority of the Word of God. They don't believe that the binding authority the Bible has covers their agenda. They don't believe that the binding authority the Bible has covers their hearts. They don't believe that the binding authority of their own convictions are subject to the Scripture with respect to the relationship. That's why you find things like this in radical feminism. It extols and fights for the rights of homosexuality, especially lesbianism. It assaults gender differences and says there's really no differences. I find that hard to believe. It renders the normal family as abnormal and thinks that the normal family is a wrong understanding. In other words, that dad goes and works and provides for the family and that mom actually makes a home and provides for the family from that end. It considers that kind of ideology as that the husband wins the bread and the wife shepherds and trains the little ones. considers that chauvinistic, bigoted, and the women say that we as men are on a power trip to crush all women's spirit. Now, as a footnote, let me tell you this. At any point during the next few weeks in talking about uh, the women's role and especially who a woman and a righteous woman is to be, I want to challenge you, if you have any issue with anything I've said, I beg you, talk to my wife, because I'm running all of this very carefully by her week by week. And frankly, as a, I'll, I'll be able to talk more about this as we go on, I think that I have the most amazing woman ever created as my bride. I have scored the ultimate score. I'm sorry, gentlemen, she's mine. You cannot have her. She is an awesome mother. She is a fantastic wife. She is more beautiful today than when I married her. 
And I am just so blessed. I, I really overmarried, and, and I'm just praying that she doesn't figure that out <laughs> sooner than I want her to. What saddens me most, though, about the feminist agenda is not the radicals out in Congress trying to change laws and abort babies and do, do things like that. What bothers me most is that that feminist agenda has made its way right into the church. You say, where? Well, now you have women trying to be ordained pastors. Now you have women thinking they can be elders. Now you have women taking the document of God and saying, with modern understanding, now you have to reinvent and reinterpret what God has said. You know what the modern feminist agenda says in total, and the Christian feminist agenda says in part, is this. God must have had a speech impediment. Because he didn't really mean what he said in there about women being in that place and men being in that place. Could he? Well, we're going to find out an entirely different understanding as we move through some critical texts in the next three or four weeks. And ladies, you've got to make a choice in the midst of this series. Especially those of you who are on campus at a secular university, you've got to make a choice every day. And this choice is going to be the most profound decision of your life. And it's this. Are you going to listen to what God has to say about who you are, who you're to be, who you're to become, and how to glorify Him? Or are you going to listen to the feminist? Have you ever noticed that when they interview the feminist, they don't seem like very happy women? I don't know what it is. They always just got the, this look. They all look the same. They're mad people. And I think, well, you sure look liberated to me. You've got to ask yourself if you're going to listen to the cultural voices and trends to become what the feminist agenda desires or whether you're going to submit to God and what He desires. No biblical standard is more viciously attacked today than the God-ordained role of women in society. If you begin talking about that, especially in any ecumenical circles, you're guaranteed to have a lightning rod for controversy and perhaps no passage in the whole Bible is more ridiculed than the one we're going to look at this week and next. I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. We've already covered what this text says about young men. And now we're going to turn the key a little bit and see what it says about women. Titus chapter 2. Verse 1. But as for you, Titus... Speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. In other words, what Titus is to instruct in what we're, what's following is solid biblical theology. Namely, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women, and that's where we are, and we're going to pick it up here for our study, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. Here it is. This is the whole reason we're going here. That the Word of God may not be dishonored. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you that what we're going to study in the coming weeks has the reputation of the Word of God at stake. What you believe about your role as a man or woman actually puts a, a reputation value on the Scriptures. The key to this whole passage is that, that little phrase that the Word of God may not be dishonored. 
Our starting point is not women's rights, feminism, or the National Organization of Women's Charter. Rather, it's the timeless truth of the Word of God. Now, just as we did with the men, we're going to move through this a, a little scattered, kind of a shotgun approach, because we're going to look at two aspects of it. They're both the reality and the recognition of a righteous woman. The reality is who you need to be, women. The recognition, guys, this is what you need to look for. So this is who we need to be. Let me say it this way. This is who you need to be as women and who the men need to look for and what they need to look for. If you want a list, guys, make it a biblical list. And girls, the same way. If you want a list, don't, don't uh, qualify it to such degree that not even Jesus or Paul would qualify. Well, Bob Phillips, we talked about this on the guy's side. Bob Phillips in a, a book about 20 years ago captures the contrast of, contrast of what we look for and what we get sometimes in a woman. He said this, The ideal wife, what every man expects, always beautiful and cheerful, could have married movie stars, but only wanted you. Hair that never needs curlers or beauty shops. Beauty that won't run in a rainstorm. Never sick, just allergic to jewelry and furs. Insists that moving furniture by herself is good for her figure. She's an expert in cooking and cleaning house and fixing the car or TV, painting the house and keeping quiet. Her favorite hobbies? Mowing the lawn and shoveling snow. She hates charge cards. Her favorite expression is, What can I do for you, dear? Thanks to you. Uh, thanks, rather, you have Einstein's brain but look like Mr. America. She wishes you would go out with the boys so she could get a little sewing done. <laughs> I didn't write it, okay? <laughs> this is what he gets. She speaks 140 words a minute with gusts up to 180. She once was a model for a totem pole. I didn't write this. She's a light eater. As soon as it gets light, she starts eating. <laughs> Remember, we read one of these for the guys, too, okay? I want to qualify that. You've got to go back to the tape. Where there's smoke, there she is, cooking. <laughs> she lets you know that you only have two faults. Everything you say and everything you do. No matter what she does with it, her hair looks like an explosion in a steel wool factory. <laughs> I love this one. If you get lost, just open your wallet and she'll find you. <laughs> well, I praise the Lord that that's not my wife. And I praise the Lord that that's not who any of you women would ever become. Amen. I only heard guys say amen there. <laughs> well, let's go back. Uh, let's get back to center and looking at the scriptures. I want to let the Holy Spirit kind of guide us and be our our guide and understanding who our, who our women need to be and who our men should expect in looking for the right woman. Titus chapter 2 is right in the middle of Titus. That's where Paul had written this little letter to his friend Titus, the pastor at a church in Crete, left him behind there to complete the organization of the churches. There were groups of Christians scattered all on the, around the island, but their organization was incomplete. They, they weren't coming together. They had different ideas all over the island about what Christianity really was to be. There were a lot of false teachers teaching wrong theology, and the result was that the standard of life and character was very little different than their unbelieving neighbors. And so Paul writes this 
book, this little letter called Titus, to his friend Titus in order to tell him how to put things in church in order. He says, look at the Christians on your island. This is how to tell them who they need to be, what they need to know, and what they need to do. So Paul's instructing Titus to teach the people in the pews what Christianity is to be in their specific role in society. Last week, or last few weeks rather, we looked at the, uh, the man's role. What Titus was urged to tell the younger men. Let me remind you of that. Verse 6, Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. Then he turns to Titus himself and gives him a list of characteristics which we adopted as our own that we wanted to implement and emulate as well. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is above reproach, in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. There's another qualifier. Who we are becoming as young men and young women actually will give Satan an advantage in our churches or possibly give dishonor to the Word of God. you think this is important stuff? Well, then let's jump in. Let's look then at some qualities of a righteous woman to realize and recognize. Let me say again, before we do this, that uh, these characteristics are all very simple, practical effects of the gospel. And except for loving your husbands, all of these characteristics, gentlemen, are mentioned elsewhere to, to be exhorted to all Christians. So you can't say, well, that's for women to obey and not me. By the way, this isn't something you can just put on your bathroom mirror and say, I'm going to be this. It's not a matter of being more, trying harder, reading more, or praying more. This is the effect, folks. This is the actual outworking of a heart that's submitted to the gospel. This is normal Christianity, not how to catch a great wife or how to catch a great husband. Let's look in then. First characteristic is, it starts the same place the men's did, a depth of Discipleship. You want to find out what to look for in a woman, guys? Ladies, you want to have a, a practical list of issues you can go through to become who you need to become? You need to look, first of all, at a depth of discipleship. What do you mean by that? Look back at the text. It says, urge the young women. Encourage the young women. Verse 4. Talk to the young women. Exhort the young women. The, the idea, if you go back to verse 3, is that the older women are involved in the younger women's lives. What do you mean by that, Rick? Let me make it real plain. Real plain. Older women who are Christians are involved in younger Christians' lives. Is that clear? Older women, younger women. You say, how much older and how much younger? It doesn't say, just older and younger. That means for your sake, ladies, you ought to find someone older than you. And I think here it's more an issue of older in the faith than necessarily older in age. Older in the faith who's had some experience with life, and we'll see what kind of experience in a minute which would put them probably older than you. They've had experience with children, with their own husbands. You're to put yourself in a discipleship relationship with someone to be taught the things that they've learned in their faith. Urge there is the same word used later as parakaleo, to come alongside, to strongly entreat, to strongly encourage. Ladies, look up. Who is there in your life, what woman is there in your life who is strongly entreating and strongly encouraging you? Do you welcome it? Do you go over to some woman's house and say, Hey, what do you see in my life this week and how can I hone it? What do you see in my life that I can work on? Please, I beg you, complete that which is lacking in my faith. As Paul told the Thessalonians. 
Are you inviting older women in the faith to examine your life and to entreat you on what they find? Now, let me say something about discipleship, first of all. This applies for men and women. Discipleship is not a Thursday night meeting for two hours. It's not a meeting you sit down at. You know why? It's very easy to have a discipleship relationship and to be squeaky clean for a couple hours a week. The Bible knows nothing about quality discipleship and everything of quantity discipleship. What do you mean, Rick? How can you say not quality? Are we all quality all the time? No. The only person who ever discipled a group of men who was perfect was Jesus. And what the Scriptures implore us to do is to get involved in each other's lives so that when we're, when we're acting righteously, that can be emulated. When we blow it, we can repent properly and even give instruction out of our repentance. But the issue is to seek it. Listen, the issue is to seek it. I've heard so many people say, Hey, Rick... Uh, guys say, I want, I'd love to get together with you. I say, oh, that's, that's fine, that's great. And then uh, two or three weeks go by and they say, they say, hey, you never called. Well, I'm sorry. Maybe I should have. Maybe it would have been better if I did. But the disciples wanted to be discipled by the Lord so much, what did they do? They gave up everything. If you want to be accountable, you'll pursue it. Listen, accountability only works when the person being held accountable seeks it. The other way is just legalism. Let me ask you, ladies, are you accountable to anyone? Does anyone know the deep issues of your heart and life that need to be sorted out with the Lord's Word? Are you involved with an older woman? Frankly, and I'm going to be real candid with you, that's one of the weaknesses of a big church like this. It's easy to isolate us as younger people out and not let us have any contact with the older people in the church. We need to change that. Even if we need to go join up with another fellowship group or whatever we need to do to, to mix us with the older people, that's what we need to do. This is a woman, gentlemen, who's teachable. She's accountable. She pursues relationships with older, more godly women to hone her character, to sharpen her faith. This is a woman who faithfully studies and knows her role as a woman. She knows her goals as a woman. She knows them biblically. She's not influenced by the feminist agenda attacking her because she's found godly models in the church to pattern her life after. This is not the woman who sings, I am woman. Who are you looking for, guys? Now, gentlemen, look up. I'm going to be honest. The first thing that attracted me to Kim was she was stunning, beautiful. I sat across the staff meeting, a junior high staff meeting, and I went, wow. (laughs) And then the first thing I did was look at her hand. Wow, it's empty. No ring. <laughs> so the next staff meeting, I sat a little closer. And I'm going to admit to you, the first thing I was attracted to Kim was that she was a fox. I'm going to just tell you right now. And she still is in my own heart, and I, I love her so much. But as I got to know her, then I was like, wow, she loves the Lord. Wow, she loves the Lord a lot. She's serious about the Scripture. She's serious about her quiet time. And then I began to see the things that just wooed me in. I was overwhelmed by her attempts at discipleship. In every conversation, it seemed to move its way back to what the Lord said or what the Word said. I was attracted to that. Nothing wrong with liking someone who's pretty. But what did the writer in Proverbs say? Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be... What? 
praise. Let me tell you, I've got also further down in the text, it says uh, that uh, her husband will stand in the gates and, and uh, um, extol her. So if I'm doing that in the next few weeks, that's okay. I'm just following the scriptures and extolling my wife. It says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. I found a great, great thing. When the wisdom and maturity of age and faith is blended with the energy and excitement of a younger woman, an extraordinary character is born. So women, please, I beg you, I implore you, get involved with someone who can get in your life. What does that mean? We talked about it before. F-A-T. Faithful, available, and teachable. That means you're faithful to both sides of the discipleship process. You're both being discipled and you're seeking to disciple. Your friendships have spiritual realities that they revolve around. You're available. That means you make the time for discipleship. You keep it a priority. And teachable. That means you change when you're confronted. You constantly put yourself in the way of truth. If church is is happening, you're there. If Sunday morning starts at 8.30, you're there at 8.20. If the Lord is, is uh, extolling his, or expounding His Word through our pastor on Sunday night, you're there. You're taking notes. You want to be involved. Guys, watch for that kind of woman. You know why? As we'll see in a minute, that's the kind of impact she's going to have on your children. Watch how she learns, and you'll know how she teaches. I've told you before that one of the things that did attract me to Kim is that I asked her to do something one Saturday morning. She said, I'm sorry, I can't. I've got a commitment. My first thought was, what's his name? I was a little, a little worried about this. So I said, oh, really? Well, what are you doing? She said, well, I go, I, you know, I'm just going down the library. And she wasn't trying to brag about it. And I was, so I pressed her. I was interested in her. Come on, it's okay. So I said, well, what are you going to do at the library? Maybe we could go study together. And she said, well, you know what? During, my, uh, during the week, I have my devotions, and I, there's a lot of things that come up in the Scriptures I don't understand that are, I don't under, that are questions. So I, I write question marks in my Bible on that, and I write them down in this journal, and then I go on Saturday morning, and I study to get the answers to it. And I went, will you marry me? No, I didn't say it. <laughs> I said, will you disciple me? Uh, Guys, ask a girl what she's studying, what she's learning, who she's meeting with for discipleship. Watch if she's regular in church attendance. See if she's involved in the Bible study level because that's where discipleship and spiritual friendships really take place in a deeper, more intimate place, fashion. Number two, a love of liking. Sounds a little funny, but you've got to follow me here. A love of liking. Look back at the text. Verse 4, that they may encourage, the older, older women may encourage the young women to love their husbands. You say, wait a minute, Rick, that looks like a love of loving. No, this is a love of liking. You know why? This isn't agape here. This is phileo. You know what this could be translated? Train the women to like their husbands. I find it very interesting that it didn't say anything about that with the men liking their, their wives. That kind of comes naturally for us. Guys are hard to like. I know. I am one. I had roommates. I've lived with them. We're, we're tough animals to train, if we can say it like that. And I think the Lord knew that, and He knew that you would have to create a certain affection by both uh, stirring it up and command in a woman's life to make that work. It carries the idea here that uh, um, there's a tender care, there's an affection. 
And it's going to be used... Let's be very careful with what you're going to do with what I'm going to say here, okay? In the next verse, the same word is used for children. Teach them to love, which means take care of the needs of their children. Now, we are called as, as men to provide for our families. First Timothy says that. But the woman, is call, women, the woman is called to take care of the needs of us. You say, as a slave, absolutely not. And if you'll hang on, if this sounds a little out of balance... Next week, we're going to come back to talking about what submission really is and what submission really isn't. And I think you'll be encouraged. The Greek word used here is the compound word in Titus 2.4. It's made up of two words, man and friend. In other words, a wife is supposed to be a friend to her husband. Now again, that doesn't start when you walk up the altar. It happens long, long times, weeks and months, maybe even years before you get there. It's harder than it sounds because... I mean, have any of you tried to be good friends with a guy? I'm going to have hate mail on this from the guys. We're about as deep as a birdbath sometimes. Try to have a significant conversation. My wife did with me last night, and all I could talk about was Tennessee was ahead. (laughs) Guys don't make a lot of sense sometimes. They're distracted. They're into some right things and some wrong things and just need a little shepherding sometimes to the deeper things in life. That's why it's so critical for women to begin learning these principles now before you're married. Now, guys aren't clueless. Well, not all guys are clueless. And frankly, some girls are about that deep as well. You say, how do you fix that? How How do you approach that, Rick? Both guys and girls ought to be approaching each other in spiritual siblingship and friendships to such extent that you can talk about the Lord. I had a discussion with some students last week. They said, what do you think about praying with a girl? I said, well, what do you mean? Well, is that too far? Is that... I said, well, do, do you pray? They said, yes. I said, well, what, are you going to be a hypocrite and not pray around her? Now, that's different than saying at the end of a day, Lord, thank you for our wonderful time. And the many times that you're planning for us in your providence and sovereignty beginning next Saturday night. <laughs> there's a way to pray and there's a way to manipulate You need to be a godly, spiritual man to these women, guys. And ladies, you need to be a godly, spiritual woman to the guys. You say, what does that mean? First of all, ladies, you need to understand that men and women are different. Very different. That's not bad, but they're different. That is the subtitle to my biography. Rick Holland, a man continually learning that he is very different from Kim. He's trying to be like her, but he's just not there yet. Understand that there's differences. Secondly, develop godly relationships with worthy men. Guys, sorry, I'm cranking screws a little tighter on us now. Women, develop godly relationships with worthy men. You say, what, kind of, what is a worthy man, a man worthy of your relationship, who's pursuing God over everything else and you know it? That's the only guy you should want to get close to anyway, right? Protect yourself that way, ladies. Lastly, study what it means to love biblically. The women are... There are places in the Scripture to love, agape love, their husbands. Because we're called to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's who their husband is if they're a believer, right? Understand what it means to love, to sacrifice, to care for, to be tender toward. 
And that tender care is really what Paul uses next. The same word. By the way, we're not going to get all the way through this passage today if you're getting a little concerned. It takes us to number three. A care for children. A care for children. Same Greek word is used here in verse 4. It says, um, Encourage them to love their husbands and to love their children. By the way, you say, Rick, I don't have a husband yet. And I don't have children yet. What should I do? That doesn't happen when you go say, I do. You have to put these principles into practice now. Nothing magic happens when you get married. Start now learning to love, learning to serve, learning to care, learning to identify. Paul's telling the older women here to tell the younger women how to do this, which implies that you find someone, gals, who you respect. Let me make a bold statement. It's a pretty big statement for me especially. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I think what I do is pretty important. I'm dealing with the Word of God and eternal souls all the time. I take that as very, very serious. It makes me tremble to think of that. But I believe with all my heart, without any reservation, that the highest calling of any human on the planet is to be a mother. Not the president of IBM, not the head of the PTA, not to excel in your career, but to be a mother. You say, why in the world would you say that? Well, society and, again, the feminist agenda demands motherhood as second rate and relegates the responsibilities of it to the likes of daycares and nannies. I always wondered about that. Our little boys, Luke and John, and our third little boy who's coming in December, when they're home and, and they fall and scuff their knee, which happens quite often, when they fall and they bump their head, which happens quite often, you know what's precious to me? When that happens, you know who's there? Mom. Not the daycare lady, not the nanny, but Mom. You say, is that biblical? Absolutely it's biblical. God has called women to love, to care for right here, to cherish their children in a way even different than men do. Gentlemen, you need to have a, a strong lecture from, uh, uh, from some older godly men, as do I do, on how we should love our children in, in a way that would honor Christ. But especially the women are given this by God. The most important influences on a young life come from dad, Right? No. Mom. And he knows that because he grows up, scores a touchdown on national television, turns to the camera and says, Hi, Mom. And I know every dad who that's ever happened to says, But I taught you to run. I gave you the football. I gotta... <laughs> Listen to what one man wrote. This is a, I couldn't pass this by because it so accurately reflects my wife and her ministry and her life. It's frightening. You ever come home, um, the, the article goes like this. Men, have you ever come home and asked your wife, So, what did you do today? Have you gotten an answer that you were not prepared for? Listen to, what, to the answer uh, of that same question by a mother named Ramona, who's just like many. It goes like this. Her husband asks, Ramona, what did you do today? Ramona stands up, brandishing a sharp fork. What did I do today? She asks, walking toward him, still holding the fork, and repeats, What did I do today? And she hands him a piece of paper entitled, What I Did Today. 
3.21 a.m. Woke up. Took Jeffrey to the bathroom. 3.31 a.m. Now keep these times in your mind, okay? The difference in them. 3.31 a.m. Woke up. Took Jeffrey to bed. 3.46. Got you to quit snoring. 3.49. Went to sleep. 5.11 a.m. Woke up. Took Jeffrey to the bathroom. 6.50 a.m. Alarm went off. Mentally, I reviewed all I had to do today. 7 a.m., alarm went off. 7.10 a.m., alarm went off. Contemplated doing something violent to the alarm clock. (laughs) 7.19 a.m., got up, got dressed, warned Stephen. 7.21 a.m., made bed, warned Stephen. 7.25 a.m., spanked Stephen. (laughs) Helped Stephen, prayed with Stephen. 7.37 a.m., Fed boys a breakfast consisting of Cheerios, orange juice, and something that resembled toast. Scolded Jeffrey for mixing them all together. This is my life. 7.46 a.m. Woke Rachel. 7.48 a.m. Had devotions. 7.48 a.m. 7.50 a.m. Made Stephen's lunch. Tried to answer Jeffrey's question, Why does God need people? Warned Stephen again. 8.01 a.m. Woke Rachel. You're going to hear that a few times. 8.02, started laundry. This, this is us, Kim. Started laundry. 8.03, took rocks out of the washing machine. <laughs> 8.04 a.m., started laundry. 8.13 a.m., planned grocery list. Tried to answer Jeffrey's question, why do, people, why do we need God? 8.29, woke Rachel. 8.30 a.m., helped Stephen with homework, told him to remember his lunch. 8.31, sent Stephen to school. 8.32, had breakfast with Rachel, oatmeal, pulled toast out of the VCR, and warned Jeffrey. <laughs> Rest of the morning, teacher phoned, wondering why Stephen had no socks. <laughs> Took them to him. Returned library books, explained why a cover was missing. <laughs> yeah, um, mailed letters, bought groceries, shut TV off, turned radio on. Heard report warning that there were gale force tornadoes in the area. Phone Sherry, told her about the tornadoes. Planned birthday party. Roof phoned, wondering if I had heard about the sale on tomatoes in the arena. Phone Sherry and Julie told them I'd heard wrong. Cleaned house, wiped noses, wiped windows, wiped bottoms. Shut TV off. Teacher called, wondering why Stephen had no lunch. <laughs> Took it to him. Pulled spaghetti out of the carpet. Cut bite marks out of the cheese. Made funny, funny-shaped sandwiches. 12.35 p.m. Put wet clothes in the dryer. 12.36. Sat down to rest. 12.39. Scolded Jeffrey. Helped him put the clothes back in the dryer. <laughs> 12.45 p.m. Agreed to babysit for a friend. Cut tree sap out of Rachel's hair. <laughs> Early afternoon. Regretted babysitting decision. <laughs> Killed assorted insects, read to the kids, clipped ten fingernails, sent kids outside. <laughs> Amen. Unpacked groceries, watered plants, swept floor, picked watermelon seeds out of the linoleum, explained to Jeffrey why he shouldn't singe ants with a magnifying glass. <laughs> read to the kids. Late afternoon, put band-aids on knees, organized task force to clean the kitchen. Clean parts of the house. Accepted appointment to a local committee. The secretary said, if we thought you would have a little extra time since you don't work. Tried to answer Rachel's questions. Why are boys and girls different? 
listened to a zillion more questions, answered a few, cleaned out the dishwasher, briefly, briefly uh, considered supper, briefly considered heading for the hills. 521. Husband came home looking for food, quietness, and romance. The husband had finished reading this by now, and Roma, still standing over him, holding the fork, said, Of course, not all of my days go this smoothly. Any questions? You know, we laugh at that, but that's real close to my wife. That's really close to what it means to be a mom and to love and care for children. More than all that, a godly woman is to constantly be, in, be inputting truth into this little kid's mind, into these precious young minds. Listen to what God told the Israelites. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you will bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We usually look at that and say, yeah, the father is supposed to teach and train his young little children. Well, how often is dad at home? compared to mom. If that's true, is it any wonder that when Timothy gave his spiritual lineage, he talked about who? His mom and his grandmom. Women, don't you ever think that you have a second class, somehow demeaning job description given from the Lord? You know, Kim and I talk about it all the time and she says, she says Rick, I love my job. Can you imagine shaping and training a life that's going to count for the rest of his life and the rest of eternity? To lay the foundation of faith. And frankly, I'm being very brutally honest. It's easy for me to come at night and have devotions with the boys, to pray with them, to tell them a little story before they go to bed and at breakfast. But my wife has unending hours of influence on these little ones. Ladies, don't by the lie that you should pursue a career and let someone else raise your children. And for that, we're going to look in just a couple of verses at what it means to be a worker at home. You know, I have opportunity to deal with couples in premarital counseling. Kim and I talk to them all the time. And what we tell them is, is this. If you're not willing... Now, here's, listen to the language, please. If you're not willing to have children that are conceived on your honeymoon, you're not ready to be married. Doesn't mean you have to. Doesn't mean you're necessarily ready for it. But if you're getting married for any reason other than I want someday, if the Lord grants them to have children, you misunderstand marriage. It's implied and it's actually commanded. The Lord says, be fruitful, multiply, raise a godly generation. You say, well, Rick, what if I get married and I'm unable to have children? That's okay. Two options. Older women, disciple some younger women, ladies. Or adopt. James says that's pure and undefiled religion to take care of widows and orphans. So you're never out of the loop. I know a, 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 a gal right now who's in her in her 60s, who uh, her and her husband were never able to have children. And you know what? She has a long, long, long line of women who she's influenced 
in a Titus II discipleship relationship that will only touch eternity. Only eternity will tell the impact of our life. So what can you do to that right now, gals? Let me give you some real practical bullet points if I can. First of all, find an older woman to teach you about children. Develop relationships with parents and pick their brains about shepherding children. You want it more simple? Look at this one. Babysit as much as possible. Pay to babysit. Pay people large denominations to babysit their children. Tell them, say, I'd like to send you out for dinner and give you $100 to, to, to minister to your sweet children tonight. Dial 661 No. <laughs> we were talking about this uh, this morning. Kim and I were, and she goes, There's a, it's impossible for you to talk about that without it being self-serving. And I said, well... I'll make everyone know I'm not trying to get babysitters even though if you want to this week. Anyway, um, uh, Tom and Megan are up here laughing very loud at that as well. Uh, seriously, girls, you ought to be spending as much time as you can around children and as much time as you can around women who have younger children, teenage children, older children who are married to find out what it's like to be a mom. Ask questions. Just riddle them with questions. Ask all the practical questions. Why do you discipline? When do you not discipline? How much do you discipline? What do you do to encourage? How do you, do, how do you get them to stop sucking their thumb? How do you, get as much wisdom as you can now, and then you'll be more prepared to be the mother that God's called you to be. Also, pray that your husband will be a godly husband and a godly father. Begin praying that now, girls. Guys, We'll footnote and we'll be done for the day, okay? I know so many friends of mine who think that being a husband and father means finding a wife who will take care of your children and then you go pursue your career and your life. That is abrogating the responsibility that God's given you to train your young ones. It's also missing out on the wonderful opportunity of a precious life. You know what my favorite time of the day is? I pull in the garage and usually Luke will hear me. And just recently, Johnny started this, hadn't he? And the door opens, and my boys run, and all they'd say is, Daddy's home! Daddy's home! Let me tell you, I wouldn't trade anything for that. You say, yeah, but Rick, you and Kim aren't as free to go do what you want. You're right. It's a major, major uh, uh, trauma to go out to eat dinner. Okay? We went out to breakfast yesterday morning. I think I ate. I I think I did. I was getting syrup off my arm and out of Johnny's hair... I was uh, trying to tell Luke that you're not supposed to spit the, the uh, watermelon seeds in the restaurant, even though I've told him to outside the restaurant. just doesn't really work with a little mind like that. We were going 100 miles an hour, and uh, Kim and I were just laughing, saying, this is great. Dan and Jane were over last night, and our kids were off the wall. They were running crazy and everything. I kept saying, kids are great. Love them. Mean it. Guys, stop being afraid of kids. How about you, gentlemen? How about you doing some babysitting? All right. How many guys, I'm not going to ask Kevin, how many guys have changed diapers before? Oh. Okay, tell you what. This afternoon, (laughs) right after church, if you will come and see me up here, we can give you not only a demonstration, but an opportunity to enjoy that wonderful privilege. Guys, learn how to shepherd little kids. This is not just for the women. Parenting is a serious, serious thing to do. And you know what? Everyone who has kids parents. They either parent very well or they parent very bad. 
And you'll begin knowing how to be a good parent later if you start doing that now. Get John's book on parenting. I've been reading through that. That's a great thing for you to read now. Get Ted Tripp's Shepherding a Child's Heart. Begin reading that. By the way, that book uh, by Ted Tripp, is that what it's called? Shepherding a Child's Heart? Is the best book on a philosophy of ministry I've ever read. And it's about raising children. Read those things. Be involved in that. Understand that now. Women, you are called. You are given the privilege, not being punished, to raise a godly seed. And frankly, your impact on that little one in some measures, is greater than even a man's. Are you taking it serious enough now to prepare for that if God gives you them in in the future? Well, that's all we have time for today. I usually have good conclusions, but we're just out of time. So, uh, let's just close it. We'll pick it up right back there and talk about a cultivation of control and being sensible next week. Father, thank you for your spirit, how it convicts us. I pray for the women here, Lord, that as your word comes to bear on their hearts, that they would feel freed up and encouraged and liberated to the spirit of God, not to society, to be and to do all that you want of them. Encourage them, Lord. I pray for the women who are in school pursuing degrees, that they're wondering, well, will I ever use this if I'm a, if I'm a mom? Encourage them that everything they learn is transferable truth through a godly life. Lord, I pray that they become strong, educated, fit mentally to answer the questions of a broken world that they'll help their children navigate. Lord, I pray especially for next week that you give us great grace to, to learn what the Spirit has. In Jesus' name, amen.